Good morning. Today we're actually, for the month of May, we're going to look at the same passage of Scripture because I can repeat my sermon every Sunday. <laughs> I had a professor once to say, you know, you can preach the same sermon every Sunday, you just got to change the illustrations. <laughs> Not true. No, we're going to look at uh, Ephesians uh, chapter 1, verse 15 through 23, four truths in this passage that I hold on to, uh, and I'll explain more about that in a minute. But uh, Ephesians chapter 1, verses 15 through 23, if you open your Bible, if you have a tablet, you can be like Moses and open, have your tablet, or you have your iPhone, whatever you want, uh, just open the scriptures to chap Ephesians chapter 1, verse 15 through 23, and let us read God's word together. I'm reading from the New American Standard. In the Pew Bibles, it's the ESV, and I forgot to get the page number, but uh, it's, they're very similar. So Ephesians chapter 1, verse 15 through 23. For this reason, I too, having heard of the faith of the Lord Jesus, which exists among you, and your love for all the saints, do not cease giving thanks for you while making mention of you in my prayers that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of glory, may give to you a spirit of wisdom and of revelation in the knowledge of him. I pray that the eyes of your heart may be enlightened so that you will know what is the hope of his calling, what are the riches of the glory of his inheritance in the saints, and what is the surpassing greatness of his power toward us who believe. These are in accordance with the working of the strength of his might, which he brought about in Christ when he raised him from the dead and seated him in his right hand in the heavenly places far above all rule and authority and power and dominion and every name that is named not only in this age but also in the one to come. And he put all things in subjection under his feet and gave him his head over all things to the church which is his body, the fullness of him who fills all in all. Pray with me please. I cannot preach unless God's Spirit works. Unless God's Spirit works, God's Word will fall on deaf ears. So pray with me, please. Lord, again, we come to you because it's your Spirit that we need. It's your Spirit that we need to come upon us to do just what we sang, to break our stubborn heart, to make us into the vessel that you want, to melt that which holds us back from serving and loving and obeying you as we should. Fill us, Lord. Fill us in a way that we will know it and we will sense that presence of your spirit in a way that will give us the encouragement and the strength that we need to live our life, whether at work or at home or wherever we are, truly thinking about you and being joyful for what you are doing. We pray this, Lord that Christ would be honored, that God the Father would be glorified, that the Holy Spirit would be made known. In Christ's name, amen. 
when I think and when I act in a way that I know is totally inconsistent with what I say I am, a Christian, when I let my guard down during spiritual warfare and give in, when I relax when I should be alert, when I, when I allow my sinful desires to take hold and cultivate a sin and I give in to temptation, when I don't fight against the evil that I know exists in my heart and I see in the world, when I, when I fail as a Christian to live for Christ, I have certain turn-to passages of Scripture to remind me of who I am and remind me of who God is. Because it's during those times when I sense my failure, when, when my heart gives in to the ways of my sin and the ways of the world that I don't like, I need to go back to the truth of what God's Word says because otherwise I become defeated and I don't live as I should. And I become discouraged. I become spiritually down. I become emotionally down and I want to give up. And I know by looking, every one of you have those same experiences. Every one of us have those times when we just say, Lord, Lord, what am I to do? Do you have a go-to passage? A go-to verse? Something that you go back to and say, but this I know is true, Lord. Ephesians chapter 1, verse 15 through 23 is one of those for me. I go to that because it reminds me of four truths that are so important in my life that if I don't hold on to those and don't go back to them and don't go back and say, yes, Lord, this is true, then I will become more despaired and more give in to the ways I don't want to give in to. In May, the four Sundays I will be preaching, we're going to look at the four truths in this passage. The first truth is the spirit of wisdom and clear knowledge of God. Look, notice what Paul does. He prays. He prays for the believers there in Ephesus, and really more than just for them. He prays that they will come to understand these truths, not that they don't know them, not that they haven't heard them, and just like you, you know these, you know these truths, you've heard them, but that they will come to grasp and understand them, and they will have them as part of their spiritual being in a way they haven't before. And the first is, they will know the spirit of wisdom and of clear knowledge or revelation of God. The second is hope of our calling. The hope of our calling. The third is the inheritance that is ours in Christ. And the fourth is the power of God that's at work for us. Four words. Spirit, hope, inheritance, and power. Say those with me. Spirit, hope, inheritance, and power. Those four words are crucial to your Christian life and my Christian life because they point us back to the truth 
instead of what we hear in the world and what we have in this world. And the first one is what we're going to look at today, what I entitle a remarkable revealing spirit, a remarkable revealing spirit that God has given to us, a spirit that God has given to us, and that's the Holy Spirit. It's the Holy Spirit. Now, this is the problem. We don't know much about the Holy Spirit. You know, it's, it's true. If you, when you read the scriptures, you learn a lot about God the Father. You learn about Jesus Christ. You've got four Gospels. But the Spirit, the Holy Spirit, is, in my mind, sometimes the forgotten part or the lesser understood part of the Trinity. At least for me. I sometimes, you know, like... How do I know when the Holy Spirit is speaking? How do I know where and when the Holy Spirit is working? I don't know if you have... No, that was not the Holy Spirit. But, uh... Now it's not working. But... Uh... No, okay, but really, truly, think about it. You know, we can hit, know when uh, audio system's not working. But, okay, for me, sometimes the Holy Spirit is not something I totally grasp and understand, even when the Spirit is talking to me. Because the Holy Spirit is the one I need the most. I know who Christ is. I know what he's done. I don't know completely. I know God the Father, and I understand that in some ways. But the Holy Spirit is something I need even more to understand. That's what Paul is praying here. He's praying that the Holy Spirit, who is the Holy Spirit that gives wisdom and knowledge of God the Father, we would grasp in a way that we haven't before. But think Sometimes I will know what's the right thing to do, but I don't want to do it. It's like our children sometimes, right? They know what's right, but they don't want to do it. We are like that. Why? Because we aren't really wise. 
Wisdom is you know what's right and you do it. Now, how does that help when you're down? How does that help when you're struggling spiritually? Well, the first way is it has to do with your relationships with people. Think about it. We all struggle in our relationships with people. There's not a person here that hadn't had struggles with other people. Not just in your family, but at work, even in church. We struggle in our relationships with people. Why? Because of our sins. It's maybe a sin against somebody else. It's maybe an inadvertent sin. We don't even realize it. Some way that we've offended somebody else. For example, you know, you say something to your wife and you realize it was wrong. What, do you, what should you do? What is the wise thing to do? Repent. Yeah, that's... How do you repent? You go and apologize and admit you're wrong. You know, that's hard to do. You know, how many of us are wanting to run to another person and say, forgive me for what I did? No, it's just... That's just what I love. I wake up every morning waiting to do that. No, we don't. We just, we, we are like, do I have to say I'm wrong? Oh, I'm sorry. I'm sorry. You know, that, what does I'm sorry mean anyway? You know, Becky and I were teaching ESL once. We're asking, what do, you, what do you say to somebody when somebody's sick? What do you say? I'm sorry. And the Chinese person said, why would I be sorry? I didn't do anything to cause them to be sick. What does I'm sorry mean anyway? When you say you've done something wrong, it doesn't really mean anything. Wisdom means I know what I should do, and I do it. I do what's right. I admit I'm wrong. I confess my sin to somebody else, and I ask for them to forgive me. Now, this is the trick. This is the way you ask for somebody to forgive you. If you hadn't done that, I wouldn't have offended you. Right? That's the way we do it, right? No. Because what you're doing is saying it's your fault still. No. Wisdom is knowing how to say it. But you know what? We don't, we don't do that naturally. That's why you've got to have the Holy Spirit. That's why you've got to stop and say, Lord, by your Spirit, give me the words to say. By your Spirit, tell me to say. How, uh, show me what to say. By your Spirit, give me a humble attitude. By your spirit, give me repentance because I don't have it naturally. That's why I go to this. I, re I remind myself, God reminds me, I have that Holy Spirit who's going to give me wisdom and knowing how to act, even in church. When you have visitors in a church, I know of one situation where somebody visited a church and nobody greeted them, nobody said anything other than coming in, it wasn't here, coming in and they gave them a bulletin and said hi. But nobody asked them anything. You know, they never went back to that church because they were offended. They wouldn't have said that, but you know why they were offended? Nobody cared about them. We can do that. We can offend others simply because we're not wise in doing the right thing that we know we should do. Wisdom is knowing how to rightly act and react to others. But you don't do it naturally. I don't do it naturally. You have to have the Spirit working to do it in you. That's why you should pray like Paul. Pray, Spirit of wisdom, give me the right words. Tell me the right thing to do.
which is the other aspect of it, wisdom and knowing the right thing to do. And we pray for that, you know. We pray all the time, Lord, show me how to do it, what to do. Okay, you can, okay marriage. Uh, when I preached in Easter, I mispronounced Jenna's name and called her Gina. She came up afterwards and said, who else is getting married? But, uh, <laughs> but okay, so, you know, wisdom in knowing who to marry. Many of us have been through that. Some of us are still wanting. Some of you are still waiting for that. How do you know who's the right person to marry? There's wisdom needed in that. Is it only feelings? Do we go by our feelings? Well, a lot of it is feelings. But think about the decisions you make in life. How many of them are based on feelings? It feels right. You know, it feels good. Is that the best way to make decisions? No. It takes wisdom. And that's why Paul is saying, if you don't have that spirit leading you, then you're going to be led astray because there are other spirits in the world. There are other spirits at work. They're demonic spirits. I'll give you the classic example of how demonic spirits lead people astray. And it happened to, like, to Jesus Christ. You remember, if uh, he had uh, been in the wilderness for 40 days, hadn't eaten, 40 days fasting. And what happens at the end of 40 days? Satan comes to him. And he tempts him in three ways, the same way he tempts you and me every day. Three ways he tempts them. First is, things will satisfy your needs. Things will satisfy you. Why did he tell him? How do we know that? He, Satan said to Jesus, just turn that rock into bread. You're hungry, turn it into bread. It will satisfy your need. And Satan does the same thing to us. He says, things will satisfy what you need. Just buy something new, get a new dress, go do something different. You need a new phone. You know, you just need something new that will satisfy your need. It's not true. That is worldly wisdom. Godly wisdom is things never satisfy because they go old and they, they aren't effective anymore. Only God can satisfy your need. Only God can do that. The second thing Satan did is told him that power and respect is what you need. Power and respect. Satan took Jesus up on the top of a mountain and said, all these kingdoms will be yours. They're all going to worship you if you just bow your knee to me. In other words, power and glory will be yours. And, and of course, Christ said, no. Worship God only. But Satan says the thing, same, uh, same thing to us all the time. Power and respect. Do whatever it takes to get it. And we see that in the world all around us. People clamoring for power, clamoring for respect, clamoring for glory. I have a good friend who was an elder in the church while I was a pastor who uh, became a U.S. representative. And he was sharing with me several years ago when he got up there, he realized how much everybody clamored for power, power, power. And that's why people, sometimes representatives and senators promise, I'm only going to go there for so long and then I'm going to leave. You know, they don't. You know why? Power. The glory of being in it. And they can't give it up. He did. I, he, he just 
didn't want to go further, but he actually ran for Senate and lost. But he said that was a blessing. The point is power. That's Satan's pitch is power and respect is what's going to make you happy. It isn't. It never will. And the third thing Satan did was a false view of our relationship to God and what he will do for you. You remember the third thing Satan did? He told uh, Jesus, throw yourself down from this, the top of the temple, throw yourself down and the angels will care for you. And Satan and Jesus' response was, do not tempt the Lord. In other words, don't put the Lord to the test. Don't ask the Lord to prove that he loves you any more than he already has. But that's what Satan wants us to believe, that if we just, that we have a false view of God. Satan wants to lead us to have a view of God that is, if God doesn't do this, 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 and this, he doesn't love me. If this bad thing happens, then where is God? God must not be good because of that. Becky and I have been reading through the Bible, and right now we're in Isaiah, which Dan preached through. You know the thing that strikes us over and over and over again? Is that people were surprised when God brought judgment against them. It's like, why, why us? We're God's people. And they, they could not see how unrighteously they were living. Why? Because they had no wisdom. No understanding of what God was doing. And we're like that. When something bad happens, we're like, how could God do this? Why? Because we don't understand God. Satan doesn't want us to have the right view of God. Satan wants to have a view of God of the God in our own image. A good God that always does good. And not a God who does good out of his perspective, not our perspective. A God who is righteous in all that he does. A prayer for wisdom that the Holy, the Holy Spirit can give. But there's another aspect of it. It's what he says, that a spirit that gives wisdom and what? A revelation of what? Look at that. May give you a spirit of wisdom and of revelation and the knowledge of him. What does he mean? And how does that help when I'm down? Well, it's because we don't understand that word revelation. I don't actually prefer the translation of revelation there because we think of the book of revelation, right? The, actually, the word that's used there is apocalypsis, from which we get the word apocalypse. And when I say the word apocalypse, what comes to your mind? What, what are you thinking of? Ah! Right? Battles. Right? It's uh, Lord of the, what is the big TV show that's wrapping up? Uh, what? Crown of Thrones, Game of Thrones, whatever it is. I don't watch it. But you, or you think of the movie, the trilogy, right? What's the trilogy? Lord of the Rings. And when we think of apocalypse, that's what we think of, right? No, that's not it. The word doesn't, that has a much deeper meaning than that. The word means to reveal. The word means to appear. What, what Paul is saying is, I pray that you will have an a, a appearance, that you will see God, that God will reveal himself to you. 
that God will make himself known to you in a way that you don't understand now. He's saying that there will be some understanding of God now, that, that you will have some understanding of God that you now do not have. It's sort of like newlyweds. You know what happens to newlyweds? They begin to see the idiosyncrasies of their spouse, right? I didn't know you did that. You do what? You know, they say something, you say, where'd that come from? And say, well, that's, that's who I am. But, you know, after you've been married for a month or two, you start realizing, and longer, start th uh, realizing things about your spouse you never saw and understood before, right? How many of y'all can testify to that? <laughs> right? That's what this word means. That we will come to see the, sort of the idiosyncrasies, the, the real character of God. Paul is saying that we will pray to have an understanding of God that we now do not have. A deeper understanding of God. I love Job. I don't like, I, I don't like the middle part of Job. I don't like when Satan goes to God and says, can I touch him? I don't like when all the uh, advisors, the three advisors, and then finally the fourth come. I don't like all that where they're telling Job how bad he is. You've got to repent. You've got to do all this. Because what happens to Job is Satan gets permission to basically destroy Job, except to take his life. So he takes his kids. He takes all of his livestock. He takes everything he owns except his wife and him. But what happens at the end of Job? That's what I love. The end of Job is what I love. Job chapter, I'm going to read uh, three passages from Job, the end of Job, because it just, this is what I want. This is what I need. Job, first of all, Job chapter 38, he says, then the Lord, okay, all the advisors, you know, they're telling Job everything, and the Lord appears and he said, then the Lord answered Job out of the whirlwind and said, who is this? Isn't this amazing? Who is this that darkens counsel by words without knowledge? You ever had that experience? You say something and you really don't know what you're saying. Words without knowledge. Now gird up your loins, I like that too, like a man, and I will ask you. Instruct me, God says. Where, where were you when I laid the foundation of the earth? Tell me if you have understanding. Who sets in measurement since you know so much or... Who stretched out the line of the earth? You know, in other words, you know, you're challenging me, God, that I'm not doing what's right. That's basically what God is saying. You know, so who are you to do that? So then, then turned over to chapter 40. Look at this. Go, it goes on. Then the Lord said to Job, will the fault finder, this is uh, verse 1, will the fault finder, who's that? That's Job, that's us. Will the fault finder contend with the Almighty? Let him who reproves God answer it. Then Job answered the Lord and said, Behold, this is it, this is what I love. I am insignificant. What can I reply to you? I lay my hand on my mouth. Once I have spoken and I will not answer. Even twice and I will add nothing more. Then the Lord answered Job out of the storm and said, now gird up your loins. There it is again. You know, get ready to fight. Gird up your loins like a man, and I will ask you to instruct me. Will you 
really annul my judgment? Will you condemn me that you may be justified? But that's what we do to God. God, how could you do that? How could you be, how is that loving and just? How is that right when things bad things happen? We, we basically do that to God, but then you go to chapter 42, the first six verses. Then God answered the Lord and said, then Job answered the Lord and said, I know that you can do all things and that no purpose of yours can be thwarted. Who is it that hides counsel without knowledge? Therefore, I've declared that which I did not understand, things too wonderful for me, which I did not know. Hear now, and I will speak, and I will answer you, and you will instruct me. I have heard of you by the hearing of the ear, but now my eyes see you. Therefore, I retract, and I repent in dust and ashes. That's what I want. I want to know God in that way. I want to know God in a way that I fall down and say, God, how dare I even utter a mouth, a word that challenges your love and your justice? How could I do that? Because when I'm down and when I'm struggling, I need to see God in a different way. I need to understand that God loves me in spite of my sin. I need to understand who God really is. Or I'll go on complaining. I'll go on thinking how bad I've got it. Instead of falling on my face before God and say, Oh God, you are so great. Oh God, you are so wonderful. Oh God, your majesty is so great that I should worship you even in the midst of my pain. Even in the midst of my knowing how simple I've been. Because why? Because God has proved his love for me. God has proved how much he cares for me. God has shown me that he's always really got my best in mind. But only the Spirit can show that to me in a way that I don't often remember. Only the Spirit can come upon me and change me to worship him no matter what the situation is. That's why Paul prayed that the spirit of wisdom and knowledge or revelation of knowledge or insights or clear understanding of who God is will come upon his people. And that's what we need to pray for ourselves and for each other, that we will have that. Four words, spirit, hope, inheritance, and power. Four words that I hold on to because they are the essence of who God is in my life. And I need to remember that more and more. Let's pray. Oh, Lord, by your spirit we pray that you would do that which we can't do. We can't know the right thing to say. We can't understand how we have offended. We can't go to another person and truly humbly ask for uh, forgiveness unless you change our heart, unless your spirit comes upon us in a way that I don't often know. Lord, I can't know you 
in the way that I need to know you unless your spirit reveals it to me. That you, in, by your spirit, appear before me in my soul, in my mind, that I would know you and understand you in a way that I don't now. That I would worship you and live for you in a way that I don't, no matter what comes my way. Oh, Lord, do this. By your spirit, do this, Lord, that we would be your people in a way that others will say, they know God in a way I don't. We pray this, Lord, that you would be glorified. Amen.